Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, listeners. It's Louisa Wells here, head of podcasts at The Telegraph and longtime producer of Chopper's Politics. We thought that as a listener of Chopper's Politics, you might be interested in a new Telegraph podcast that we've been working on. The Lockdown Files follows our investigations team after they broke a huge story at the beginning of this year. The Telegraph had obtained more than 100,000 WhatsApp messages sent between Matt Hancock and some of the most senior people in government. Join the investigations team as they search for the full picture behind those messages and speak to those involved in making the key decisions which affected all our lives. Because the COVID inquiry may be underway, but you shouldn't have to wait years for answers. Here's the first episode. We hope you find it interesting. Anyone who has ever been in a WhatsApp group will know those sounds well. WhatsApp is perfect when you're trying to plan a party. Who's bringing the mince pies at Christmas? Or finding your friends for a picnic in the park? It's quick, informal and playful. But what happens when the same chaotic back and forth is used at the highest levels of government? I'm Claire Newell, the investigations editor at The Telegraph. In December 2022, one of the editors called me into their office. They had something big. They'd been approached by a journalist called Isabel Oakshot. She had a leak for us. So this is the huge cache of WhatsApp messages. Matt Hancock's WhatsApp messages from when he was the health secretary during the pandemic. Many members of the cabinet, people in number 10, civil servants, you've got the chief medical officer. A hundred thousand messages. Chief scientific officer. So I gathered a team of reporters. In March 2023, we published our investigation. We christened it The Lockdown Files. Around 100 articles revealing what the highest members of government had been talking about as we all stayed at home. Now that the COVID inquiry is finally underway. So many of my patients died. The inquiry has to have access to the information it needs. These WhatsApps are centre stage. Lady Hannah is demanding sight of Boris Johnson's private WhatsApps and diaries from the time of lockdown. Here at The Telegraph, we wanted to investigate further and tell the story of how these government decisions were made. But first, I'd like to take you back to how it all began. The leak that started it all. It's an enormous volume of material. Welcome to the Lockdown Files podcast. Episode 1, The Leak. I've known Isabel for more than 15 years, and over those years, she's had some really fantastic scoops. She's become much more high profile and is often now invited on TV as a political commentator. I definitely have quite a, a divisive image. Certain people would regard me as um, very right wing, which I always find quite amusing because I'm just essentially a small C conservative. And she's also a ghostwriter. I like to think I'm very good at what I do. I specialise in writing books that make a big impact. They're often controversial, uh, but they get a lot of media coverage. 
Isabel read in an article that Matt Hancock wanted to write his memoirs of the pandemic. And I remember thinking, well, that's interesting. And if he does want to write a book, then unless he's a, a brilliant writer who's yet to be discovered, then he might want some help with it. And so I dropped him a line and said, is this true? You know, are you planning on writing a book? Um, do you need any help with it? It's not unusual for former cabinet ministers to write memoirs. It can be a great way to get out their version of events. As a journalist, and particularly as somebody who'd been very passionately opposed to lockdown policy, I really was very drawn to working with Matt, uh, even though I didn't agree and this was very clear to him and everybody uh, with much of what he did. I was very drawn to working with him to get as much as I could of the inside story on the government's handling of the response to the pandemic. The process for co-writing a book differs a lot. With celebrities or sportsmen or sportswomen, it's often up to the writer to do the majority of the work. Most authors, um, they want to write a book about how brilliant they are. Being a politician, Matt was at least as inclined as the normal person to want to write about how brilliant he was. Politicians often want to be heavily involved. And then in came these WhatsApps. The reason Matt Hancock gave the WhatsApps to me and my team was because he recognised they were pretty much the best record of what actually happened. I can give you, you know, my recollections from the top of my head and I can look at my old ministerial diaries and so on, but really, if you want a proper account of what happened, well, you need the WhatsApps. Wow, this book has gone from being, well, it was going to be quite good, but actually, wow, this is really going to make a, a big splash. But the deadlines were tight and things were about to get worse. Shortly before publication, Matt Hancock flew out to Australia to join I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And he had asked me uh, privately if I thought that this was a good idea for him to do. And I actually said, you know, on balance, I actually think you should do it. It's great for your profile. Frankly, um, my, my view was, look, just, just go for it. What I didn't know uh, was that if he was going to go for it, it was literally setting off two or three days later. So the next thing I know, Matt's actually disappeared. He never told me that he had decided to do it. He just vanished. Hancock's Pandemic Diaries were published in December 2022, but the book had been written in such a rush, Isabel hadn't even been able to read all the messages she had an inkling that things had been left out. And so she was faced with a conundrum. Shouldn't the public know the full story contained in these messages and what ministers really thought of the decisions they made during the pandemic? Confidentiality, if you're a ghostwriter, is really important. I mean, this is how I've, I've made a living for the last 10 years. Nobody in my position would breach that lightly. Can you imagine the outcry if I had been seen to be concealing this material, 2.3 million words of WhatsApps, and I, Isabel Oakeshott, a political journalist, decide to sit on that material to protect politicians' dark secrets, I don't think that would have been an honourable thing to do. And so Isabel, usually the journalist, decided to become a source herself. At the start of January, the investigation began. The messages were stored on hard drives. All of this was really sensitive. No one could know what we were doing. 
one thing that was actually really important right from the word go was secrecy. My very first time here I was actually ushered in through a separate entrance and up a sort of lift which no one else really uses because what we really didn't want and need was either the government or Matt Hancock getting wind of this and trying to block publication. The Telegraph's investigations team is usually made up of four people. But this was so big, we needed reinforcement. We brought people in from the newsroom. The editors identified a particular room they thought would be perfect for us. No natural light, doors that locked, and a safe as big as me to put the hard drives in. There were seven of us at the beginning, secluded in that room for two long months. Here are some members of the team recounting those early days. It's essentially a room with one long table in the middle of it and they had blanked out all the windows. Some steel plates up against one wall. So nobody could see in and see what we were doing. We couldn't keep the door open at all because we had to keep what we were discussing uh, private. Which obviously caused quite a lot of uh, interest. No, I didn't even tell my wife. So secretive was this. She knew I was in a box and she knew I was trapped with other people. So whilst we knew these were WhatsApp messages, they didn't look like the normal ones you have on your phone. There weren't green and white bubbles, which allow you to follow a conversation easily. There was no gap between messages, no colour coding whatsoever. It was tiny, compressed text, almost impenetrable. It turns out lots of ministers like using emojis in their messages. What an incredible resource it was. Just wild excitement, which marks me out as a specific type of journalistic geek. In front of us, there were a list of WhatsApp chats with Boris Johnson. I'm a political reporter, I spent my whole time trying to work out what ministers are doing. Ben Wallace, Chris Whitty. Why they're doing them and who they're talking to and how policy decisions are made. And here, suddenly, it was almost like a treasure trove. Blimey, how are we going to get through all this? Honestly, it was a bit surreal. The data we were given was expansive. Generally, they're very raw, these messages. Mm. That's Isabel again. You know, it's not as if the pandemic kind of did away with all political business as usual. You know, you see the turf wars, you see the briefing, you see the worrying about how they're going to look in the media. Reading these messages was like lifting the lid of how government really worked, like cabinet secretaries, for example. They are a kind of shadowy force in, in British politics. And we always assume that the cabinet secretary is this kind of faceless mandarin or a kind of, kind of Sir Humphrey figure from Yes Minister. Here's Tony Diver. He joined our team for the investigation. He's usually a political reporter based in Westminster. And actually what we saw was kind of the opposite. Actually someone making highly politically charged comments, being having a key uh, involvement in decision making, which is not necessarily what you might expect. Of course, there's a caveat to these messages. It's not the full picture. Yes, Matt Hancock is chatting to Boris Johnson about lockdown plans but it's probably not the only way they were communicating. There would have been calls and emails. Sometimes you don't see the full replies because somebody that Matt Hancock has messaged has picked up the phone instead. In the room, we had to reconstruct what was going on in between the chats. As a precaution, our computers weren't connected to the internet. We couldn't risk someone hacking into the material. The last thing we wanted was for the leak to leak. It made researching information laborious because we had to swap over to a laptop so there was no copy and paste. And you had to work out on that date what it was that they were talking about that had, for example, just happened in schools or just happened in care homes. 
That's my colleague Hayley Dixon. She does some of the paper's biggest stories and joined our team for the investigation. So you had to go back through newspaper cuttings and website archives to work out the context of what you're talking about. So it wasn't just about opening these files and reading what was said. It was about piecing together what was happening at that moment in time, both within and with and outside the room, really. One thing that was slightly frustrating for us personally was there were a lot of Twitter links and because the computers that we were using weren't connected to the internet. So you would often spend quite a long time typing out the Twitter link to realise that you've got one number or one letter wrong and have to go back and check it again. But obviously without knowing what it said in that link, the context to what they're talking about becomes impossible to know. Nonetheless, the messages do give us a glimpse of how the decisions which impacted all our lives were made during a once-in-a-lifetime crisis. As a newspaper, we're used to working with large leaks. Ten years ago, the Telegraph obtained a copy of almost every MP's expense claim, thanks to a whistleblower. These messages were no different, but it was on a much larger scale. We divided the WhatsApp chats between us and started with current cabinet ministers. Of course, that meant it included the current prime minister, Rishi Sunak, and the former one, Boris Johnson. So, I mean, I, I made the case that with my political experience, I should be the one that, that gets to look at some of those number 10 chats, um, which, which is an argument I won. I think I then got some of the, some of the worst group chats in, <laughs> as, a, as a punishment. As we read through the messages, we realised it was important to work in a uniform way. That meant we could cross-check our notes. With eight reporters in the room, we couldn't afford to miss anything. Within a month, we had pretty much finished our first read and it was time to start again. But as we did this, we also started drafting stories. It can be the only way to decide if something works. When you see it on the screen, does it seem shocking or new? Would you put it on the front of a paper or on the top of a website? Is it the kind of story that blows your mind and makes you want to WhatsApp everybody you know? Just wow, I can't believe that's the way that they actually run things and do things really. That's my colleague, Hayley. Because of the nature of the data that we're using, public interest from day one was at the top of everyone's mind in that room. You know, there is a difference between the public interest and what the public find interesting. We always were thinking about what we were reading in terms of why does this matter? At the beginning of this process, there were some areas where we knew there were going to be stories. So I knew that schools, for example, was something that I'd covered quite a lot during the pandemic, but also is really important in terms of lesson learned because it's children who've paid a lot of the price for this pandemic. So I think very early on, I certainly had my eye out, my news radar out for stories in schools. Another obvious one was care homes, generally accepted to be one of the government's biggest failures. We've tried to throw a protective ring around our care homes. Yet tens of thousands of residents died in the first wave, and there was more to come. We knew the area was a good one for us to delve into, and it paid off. It was an example of what we collectively called not following the science. Times where advice from scientists was apparently ignored. To ignore the scientists' advice, and then to have the gall or the audacity to actually say that we will put a ring of care, that he actually said that. Well, where was this ring of care? It was one of the themes which developed and emerged as we combed through the data. It became the basis of what we call our day one splash. Basically, the story you stick on the front page, which leads the coverage. Then, at the start of March, it was D-Day. Before we published, we came down and we read the proofs. 
So what that means is when the designers have laid it all out on the page and made it fit. We're all going through printed out copies of all of these WhatsApp messages, going, we're literally sitting there with pen and paper, circling problems that there were on the page, typos or formatting problems, going back to the sub-editors, getting it changed, coming back, taking a new page, and we slowly sort of worked our way all the way through, pretty much until the last moment. It was nerve-wracking. We had enough articles to fill pages one to six of the paper. We had a special design that would dominate the Telegraph website. We decided to publish late at night, just before 11. It's much later than usual, but in our business, it's all about protecting our work. A late drop meant it would be hard for rivals to rip us off. And then slowly, it became clear that someone somehow had found out what we were doing and there was a bit of a concern that it was going to leak. And so people started to text me, people from Westminster saying, oh, I hear your story's being published tomorrow. I hear this big thing that you've been working on for so long is going to come out. Until finally, it was time. At 10.45pm, we all took a deep, collective breath. When you're sitting in a bunker for two months, um, you have no idea how anything that you do is going to land, really. As the minutes passed, we watched. And then it happened. Social media exploded. And by the next morning, it was leading the news. Fresh revelations. Delete WhatsApp messages. The Daily Telegraph. Big decisions under new scrutiny. Former Health Secretary Matt Hancock's handling of the COVID pandemic. Jokes about mandatory hotel quarantine. Mr Speaker, the families of the 43,000 care home residents who lost their lives will be appalled. Relatives of those who died during the COVID pandemic were dismayed, not only by the revelations, but also the tone of some of the messages how casually ministers and advisers discuss massive decisions like masks on children. Matt Hancock responded to the articles by saying that it was outrageous and a distorted account of the pandemic. He criticised us for spinning an anti-lockdown agenda, which would have cost hundreds of thousands of lives if followed. His spokesperson said what these messages do show is a lot of people working hard to save lives. As I'm recording this episode, the public inquiry has just started. But the problem is, it's going to take years. And people are saying, we just can't wait that long. Because we all want answers, we decided to examine the messages again in a new light. Sometimes they allude to a document or a meeting. An obvious step is for us to speak to people in government at the time and ask them, looking back, what do you think of the choices you made? It will be difficult. Not everyone is happy that the lockdown files were published. I'm Claire Newell, and this is the Lockdown Files podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you like the series, please leave a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts. It will help listeners find us and help keep this investigation going. Please consider taking out a Telegraph subscription. We couldn't have made this show without our subscribers. Listeners to this podcast can get exclusive sign-up deals at telegraph.co.uk forward slash lockdown files podcast. Don't forget that you can find exclusive details from the series at telegraph.co.uk forward slash news forward slash lockdown hyphen files. And if you've got any information to share, please email us on lockdownfiles at telegraph.co.uk. The Lockdown Files podcast was written by me, Claire Newell, and Adele Pogemont-Ponte. 
The investigations team behind it are Catherine Rushton, Sophie Barnes, Janet Easton, and Jack Leather. The other reporters who worked on the lockdown files are Robert Mendick, Haley Dixon, and Tony Diver. This episode was produced by Adelaide Pogemont-Ponte, with further production and mixing from Jack Boswell. The executive producer is Louisa Wells. 